I think that people mess up on all the time is like when you actually store your meat in the cooler. Most people will put their meat on the bottom of, of the cooler and then put the ice on top. And that just, you know, saturates your meat. So you kind of want to do it in reverse. Put your uh, ice on the bottom, meat on top, and then crack the drain plug open and let that drain. And if you need to replenish the ice, replenish it. And, I mean, that's to me is, you know, where a lot of people mess up at. <laughs> For steaks, uh, I, I would say one of the number one rules is obviously, you know, don't don't ever cook it. You know, I like to cook mine, you know, medium rare. And if you are going to temp it, you know, I'd pull it at about 125 degrees and let it rest, you know, before you slice into it so you don't let all the juices run out. And also, too, I like to pull for roast or steaks, I like to pull those out of the fridge like 30 minutes to an hour before and let them come up to room temperature. Um, and that'll kind of give you an even more of an evenly cooked piece of meat versus cooking one that's ice cold right out of the, the fridge. You don't have to stuff them or anything, but a quick tip for those is you can literally roll those things up, tie them in multiple spots with uh, some butcher's twine and just throw those in the slow cooker. You can sear them beforehand and they'll end up, you know, shredding up pretty good. And you can kind of play around with it after that. But yeah, that's that's generally what I do. You know, it's pretty simple. You know, you can do it with a, a neck, shank or, or shoulders. You basically just want to get that seasoned up, salt and pepper, sear those off, take that off, get some uh, onions and garlic going, get that tender. If you want to use a crock pot, use a crock pot. If not, use a pan. Then you just want to do about a ballpark of 50-50, you know, a red wine and some stock. Bring that up about three quarters of the way up your meat and then just slow cook that until it's tender. And then once you get that tender, that's when you can pull the meat out and dial in your sauce. So you can add more stuff to your sauce. You can add some sugar to sweeten it up some honey and just reduce that cooking liquid down to about half and then that's going to concentrate your flavors welcome to days of the wild big game hunting podcast i'm going into my 15th year of podcasting can't believe it's been that long i want to thank you all for helping me keep this fresh and staying motivated to bring you new content etc it hasn't been easy but uh it helps me fuel my own passion for hunting Speaking of helping me keep this going, please go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags and use promo code John Stallone, all one word, to save 20%. And lastly, if you could, go to Howl for Wildlife and become a member. We have partnered with Go Hunt, so now you could get your cake and eat it too. What, I, what do I mean by this? Well, you can go to Go Hunt and if you look at their insider full subscription, it's $149. And... With the Insider, you get the Explorer as well. So we have both packages, but Explorer is is their mapping software and it's completely dedicated just to hunting. You know, it's got the public and private land boundaries, offline maps, 3D, point tracker, and all the Western states are included. It's a, it's a great tool. So you get that plus with the Insider, you get the advanced filtering and search tools, industry-leading draw odds, unit profiles, and uh, easy-to-read state regulation overviews, and species profiles, and expert insights, and all this exclusive content, plus monthly giveaways. So the Go Hunt Insider subscription is an awesome deal, right? But it's $149 a year. And if you've been on the fence and didn't know you, if you wanted to spend that $149 let me tell you it's really worth it but we're going to make it even sexier for you because if you come to Howlful Wildlife's site and you go to our membership portal and purchase a insider or a explorer package you not only get a free subscription to go hunt and get all those awesome benefits that we talked about but you get all the benefits of becoming a Howl for Wildlife member. And that includes our discounts with our partners, 20% or more with our partners. You are automatically included in the Howl for Wildlife giveaway, monthly giveaways for gear and hunt giveaways for the year. Plus, as a 501c3, your portion of your membership is tax deductible and you're helping out a great cause alpha wildlife is out there advocating for the hunter and helping educate the non-hunting public so that uh, we can keep doing this for for perpetuity here and so that our kids and our grandkids can enjoy it and uh, it's a really great system and we're super thankful that uh, go hunt jumped on board with us and um 
It's a great way to support Alpha Wildlife. It's a great way to get awesome tools that you will use. I use Go Hunt Insider all the time. I've been a member for a very long time, and it's how I get a lot of my tags by doing the research through there. And now you're getting extra stuff with it. So it's a great, great system. So go check it out. Become a member today. And uh, let's roll into this next episode. Thanks. Hi, welcome to Days on Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast brought to you by Phoenix Shooting Bags. Today, uh, we are going to do, we're going to switch gears a little bit. I got Larry White with this, the uh, Wild Game Gourmet. And, uh, you know, we're going to pick his brain a little bit about, about table fare, about caring for the meat. And uh, and hopefully we'll pull a couple stories out of here, out of him in the end here, and talk about some actual hunting stuff. What's going on, man? How you been? Good, man. Just uh, staying busy, simultaneously uh, rebuilding a deck and getting rid of uh, getting ready for my little kid's birthday party. So kind of crazy around here. <laughs> oh yeah, geez, that sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, the honey do lists uh, they never seem to stop for me and. I never have time to get to any of them, so my wife's always pissed off at me. <laughs> oh. oh yeah, it's, it's it's never ending. We moved out to some uh, some acres about three years ago, and it's like yeah, between that and then trying to keep up with the property, I mean, uh, I, I never have any free time. <laughs> yeah, is is your place like uh, big enough to hunt? You can actually hunt off of it, or uh, I mean, I guess it's considered where I live at. You know, decently big. It's it's forty acres, and it it butts up to uh, to public land, but uh, it's it's pretty thick and swampy so i don't really have to deal with anybody you know hunting on the public land so it's technically you know kind of all mine in a sense <laughs> nice awesome yeah i've always kind of wanted a a place where i could just kind of go out in my backyard and you know hunt deer or something that'd be great i definitely do not have that i got about uh a third of an acre <laughs> in in a master plan community yeah it's not uh it's definitely not ideal. It does not fit my my lifestyle. I have to uh, I have to go places to do that. I, I don't have to drive too far. Unfortunately, unfortunately, I don't have to drive too far. But it's it's still you know be nice to be able to even go shoot my bow in the backyard. I can't even do that. Well, I said yeah, I can't do that. I do that, but it's only twenty yards across. So. Yeah, that's how I was in my last place. This this <laughs> definitely a, a game changer as far as practicing goes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, cool. Uh, why don't you give us a little rundown about yourself, and uh, then we'll we'll hit some questions and talk about some stories and stuff. All right. Yeah. Uh, as you said, my name's Larry White. Uh, Forty years old. Uh, husband. Got two kids. Um, originally from North Carolina and in, in the foothills of North Carolina, the Piedmont. I uh, currently live outside of Charleston, South Carolina in the low country. Been in a hunting and fishing probably since I was like five. My dad got me into it. As far as my culinary journey goes, I started cooking in the Coast Guard back in 2004. Went to culinary school with them in uh, California. Uh, lived in some cool places. Got stationed in the Florida Keys and Alamorada. Got to do a lot of cool fishing and then uh, ended up here. Got out of the Coast Guard and went back to school. Got my culinary degree. Uh just some personal chefing, fine dining, owned a food truck, kind of gotten a bad business deal, got out of that, decided to be a stay home dad. And then, uh, that kind of led me into this wild game gourmet uh, deal. <laughs> nice. So with your stuff that you're doing with the wild game gourmet, is that, do you actually have a place where you're cooking other than like just the stuff that you're doing, you know, for, I, I know, I know the stuff that you're doing for content creation, but are you yeah, uh, are you cooking for people or are you or what are you doing? Yeah, so I'm actually doing a mix of things. I'm actually building a uh, a live fire kitchen out of my property to be able to put out some educational content and uh, start a YouTube channel and get that going. And then uh, I also do some personal chef on the side. Uh, I buy some meats from uh, Broken Arrow Ranch. They actually have like true wild venison, and I'll do some uh, some events and parties with that. So. That's pretty much all I have going on right now, uh, and I have a, a podcast uh, that I'm toying around with that I might launch here in the next few months. Okay, awesome. Well, let's just jump into some of these questions. So I, I get asked a lot all the time, 
I dabble in culinary stuff mainly because I like to eat. You know, so it's like I'm kind of a foodie. Um, okay, I definitely enjoy exotic, not exotic. I shouldn't say exotic, but like different food. I, I definitely enjoy flavors of of different types. I, I really can't stand that same repetitive, you know, preparations and so on and so forth. Even though that that happens a lot too at the house, you know, because of the kids who yeah. just keep making the same things that we know they're going to eat. But when it definitely, when it comes to wild game, I find that if you're cooking more exciting meals, you're more, you know, you're more apt to, to cook it often and, and, and whatnot. So anyway, um, so that's one of the things that drove me to following you. And then, you know, I put together this list of questions because these are questions that are asked me all the time. Uh, one of the things that gets asked is, you know, what are good practices to care for the meat in the field to get the best quality possible? Um, you know, aside from your rule, the, the standard rules of thumb. First and foremost, it's, you know, you want to keep the meat clean, cool, and dry. Uh, that's, mm-hmm. for me, that's like, top priority, you know, to get it cooled down as, as fast as possible. And, uh, you know, really, if you don't need, like if, if you're in the back country or, or somewhere, you can actually break down the animal, you know I mean? If you can get it off the bone, that's going to cool it down a lot faster. Mm-hmm. Um, it, if you can get it hung up in a tree and in a cool area and some wind blowing on it and kind of get a little rind developed on there, if you're, if you're going to be back there for a while, that'll keep bugs off if you don't have any game bags. Uh, I was like trying to give some kind of tips, but yeah. And if, and also too, I learned, I think I learned this from, uh, Aaron Snyder's podcast. He said that he would take contractor bags or uh, dry bags, mm-hmm. put the meat in there, put it in a stream and let that ru- run uh, over the bags to cool off the meat faster. Okay. Um, yeah. I thought that was pretty neat. And then obviously you don't, you don't want that to get wet and you can hang it up after that to continue cooling it off. Yeah. I, I, I never listened to that podcast. I mean, I listen to Aaron all the time, but I haven't heard that, that episode. I'd like to listen to that. That sounds like a cool little trick. Yeah. It was a, it was a few years ago. I can't remember which one. And, uh, and I would say the big one, uh, I think that people mess up on all the time is like when you actually store your meat in the cooler, mm-hmm. uh, mo- most people will put their meat on the bottom of, of the cooler and then put the ice on top. Oh yeah. And I just, you know, saturate your meat. So you kind of want to do it in reverse, put your uh, ice on the bottom, meat on top, and then crack the drain plug open and let that drain. And if you need to replenish the ice, replenish it. And I mean, that's to me is, you know, where a lot of people mess up at. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You get that all the blood gets mixed in the water and it starts, you know, sucking all the things that might create <laughs> the taste out <laughs> taste out of it but i question about that is it a good practice to put it in a sealed plastic bag and then into the ice so that you could you know it were protect it basically from the ice yeah i mean if, if you could do that i mean it, it wouldn't matter really i guess where you place it at um as long as you can keep it cold, you know, cause you don't really want any moisture building up in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you know, if there was a chance your ice is going to melt at all, you know, you don't want any moisture building up in those bags. Yeah, that yeah. would be the only downside I would, that I could see. Um, and another way too, if you have the uh, opportunity, you could also freeze, um, like gallon water jugs Yeah, and, and using that in your cooler. I do that a lot. Uh, I do too. And I actually, I bought these ice packs. Like I, I wish I, had one in front of me right now. I could tell you the name of it. Basically, I ordered them on Amazon. You fill them up. They're like these pouches, and they have like okay. a a powder in it. You fill it up with water, and it creates a gel. And man, those things they last forever, and they're real slender. So what I end up doing is then they come in a couple different sizes. I put them on the sides, and I lay them across the bottom, and I basically create a wall you know, on three sides of, or I guess four sides, five sides, because the bottom, bottom and all four sides of the, of the cooler. And then I, and I put the meat or even when I'm just bringing my, my food to go, you know, for camping or whatever the case may be, that's what I do. And it, it, it lasts so much longer. Yeah, that makes sense. I never thought about doing that. 
yeah, those those things are freaking fin- like phenomenal. They're called Polar something or other. I'll, I'll have to put it in the show notes and I'll text you later with the name. Oh, but yeah, ever since I got them, I man, game changer. And then you know they they're uh, like they don't take up that much space, and that's the other thing. It's like you know, ice takes up so much volume. It's like. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. As soon as you're explaining that, those those jugs work, but they take up a ton of room. Yeah, I stopped doing the 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 one gallons, and I started doing those like one liter bottles. And I kind of, you know, okay. it's just so I can pick and choose where I want the ice. And and I noticed like when I'm carrying a cooler that has food in it that has frozen stuff, and I just have like you know. I don't know, spinach and other stuff that doesn't really need, doesn't want to be next to stuff that's too cold because then it gets screwed up. Like I could kind of segregate it a little bit better and, and it tends to, to work a little bit more efficiently, I guess. Yeah, definitely. So what, uh, this is a, it's a real vague question, but like simple rules of thumb for venison, like, different temps and preparations and cuts and stuff like that. Like um, it's just yeah. to like make things uh, not necessarily simple, stupid, but you know, just a little bit easier process. Cause obviously you can with a, any piece of meat really, but especially like with venison, you have the, the possibilities are endless, like uh, on preparation side. Yeah, I would say to start, you know, if you're going to, for steaks, uh, I, w- I would say one of the number one rules is obviously, you know, don't don't ever cook it. You know, I like to cook mine, you know, medium rare. And if you are going to temp it, you know, I'd pull it at about 125 degrees and let it rest, you know, before you slice into it so you don't let all the juices run out. And also, too, I like to pull, for roast or steaks, I like to pull those out of the fridge like 30 minutes to an hour before and let them come up to room temperature. Mm-hmm. Um, and that'll kind of give you an even more of an evenly cooked piece of meat versus cooking one that's ice cold right out of the the fridge. And uh, I think what I notice with that too, you get less, um, I don't know what they call it, but less reaction from the meat. Like, you know, when you throw like something really cold down on the, it kind of like pulls in on itself and like shrinks in on Uh, itself. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And having them at room temperature, I've, I've seen that it doesn't quite do it as much. No, yeah, you're you're right. Yeah, the the reaction when it hits the pan is, is that it doesn't shrink up as much. Yeah. Are you? Um. So you said pan. Good. I good thing. What I wanted to ask you was, are you when you're doing just like venison steaks? Are you typically grill and then go in a pan and finishing off on a pan, or are you, you know, just going pan and then in the oven uh, with the pan afterwards or I'm kind of, I guess probably reverse from a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. I, I use to cook mine and, and a cast iron pan and it's just because I do love lean meat, but because it is so lean, I feel like it benefits from being in a pan cause you can actually have some fat in there. Right. And, uh, and help keep things moist. So I, I generally do that. Um, you know, depending enough if I'm grilling out or whatever, I'll, you know, that's fine, but I'll try to like, I don't know, maybe top it off a little bit of butter at the end or something. And, uh, and usually with, with my braised meats, you know, things that you're getting really tender, like your shanks, your shoulders and necks. I actually like to finish those off on a grill or under a broiler to kind of get like a char on there. So you got okay. the, the super tender meat plus, plus the char. So just give it more depth of flavor. Nice. I, I haven't done a whole lot. I've done a little bit of braising and I've really wanted to get into it more. I, I, I did a, I did a javelina leg not too long ago. And, uh, I guess, you know, I do, I do quite a bit of like slow cooker stuff, like, you know, crock pot crap, but never, oh, like, perfect. <laughs> yeah, never, never really get, got into the whole, you know, tinfoil over the top of a big pan and, and, and sat there and braced stuff. But I, I, I enjoy it when I've eaten it in other places. Um, you know, the one thing I do do is also buco, which is 
Um, oh yeah, I haven't tried it with venison or elk or anything yet, but I'd like to. I'd like to try that one time. I've only done it with, you know, veal or or uh, beef, but yeah, it, it comes out great. And it comes out great in a uh, a crock pot too. You know, I kind of uh, crock pot gets a lot of shame, but man, yeah. they it works so well with uh with with wild game. And oh again, my you god, can, yeah, yeah. You can add flavor by charring it up if you want to after, but yeah, you you, you won't see many uh many chefs owning uh, people. You know the new craze for people that aren't in the businesses of the sous vide machines but you won't see too many chefs with those at their house they're using crock pots yeah <laughs> i would imagine yeah actually um my brother-in-law bought a sous vide machine and we did some steaks with it which was pretty damn good i i enjoyed it a lot but i don't know i just there's something about having to put it in a bag like i feel, and this is just maybe my my craziness coming out but i always feel like you're putting something else into that meat that even though you don't taste it or whatever that shouldn't be in there yeah i mean that's that's one of the reasons why i don't i don't use it you know we we started using them in culinary school back in like 2010 and they were kind of cool but the main reason why they were for me for cool for chefs back then like if you're going to use it for, I haven't done it yet, but if you want to use it for like a venison and get actually a cool preparation, it's like if, if you wanted a, uh, you know, put a venison neck in there, you know, usually you have to braise those so they come really tender. Mm-hmm. You could possibly put a venison neck in a sous vide and actually cook that for so long that it could break down and you could actually still have a, uh, you know, a pink center, mm. like a steak. And you, you know, cause a lot, a lot of restaurants around here were doing that with uh, beef short ribs and stuff, you know, and, uh, it's just just something cool, you know, outside of the outside of the box that you know you, you would actually have to have a sous to do that. Yeah, yeah. I um, I saw on your Instagram that you had did a venison shank with like over some pasta and stuff with wild mushroom. I think it was with, maybe with wild mushrooms. I don't remember exactly what it was, but oh that, yeah, that dish looked so. Was that a that was a braised shank? What did you do? with that it was yeah that was a uh that was a braised shank that's actually one of my one of my dishes that like you know i try to tell people if you want to cook like your first kind of i don't want to say gourmet but like elevated yeah. meal that's that's one of those i would preach to prepare because it's so easy and it kind of it doesn't press people for a dinner party um but I mean, yeah that was it's that was it's braised attractive and, looking and it's an attractive looking dish and I mean, it's got pasta, so it's going to be freaking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that's the Italian in me, I guess. But um, yeah, man, I, I I really like the way that looks. Like, I'll, I'm actually, I just pulled it up right now. I'm watching you. I'm watching you put the uh, cheese on it. Um, yeah, I, I got to get that recipe from you. <laughs> that's that looks good, man. I want to, I want to try that out for sure. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I think I've got a. I think I've got at least a variation of them on my website now. Awesome. Yeah, I definitely have to check that out. I've I've really gotten into trying to do some like cured meat stuff too in the last couple of years. Have you been, have you done a bunch of that or Yeah, yeah, I, I, that's one of my favorite things to do. I don't I don't do it a ton now cuz uh, time could I, I'm I'm, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to I'm, I'm trying to teach teach people some things, but it's kind of like one of those things I'm I'm afraid, you know, not many people are going to be into it. So I'm, I'm not how I'm not sure how I'm going to approach putting more of that content out. But I, what people do seem like they enjoy is I do the simple cured meats. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I'll do a cured venison loin or a cured venison loin, and then and then smoked uh, things like that. Um, I've gotten a huge response off of. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Actually, you know what? I'm just I'm doing. I'm, I'm kind of cruising your as we're talking about this. Um, your Instagram. I see a couple of pieces. Um, plates here that you had cured meats on. I got into doing deer pastrami. I did it with my coos deer um, from two years ago. It was the first time I tried it. And I brought it over. So that hunt is in December. It's in late December. And I had just had done preparing it and I brought it over to Christmas Christmas Day dinner at my mother-in-law's house. And I didn't tell anybody it was deer just put it out there and it was gone like absolutely gone (laughs) 
in in minutes i had a, a, a full you know not a koozie or loins i mean a backstrap is really not that big and you know it's probably 24 inches long maybe a little bit maybe okay. a little bit longer but it's not very big and and i think it works better with the coos deer than it does a regular eastern well i, I tried it with a, a mule deer and the back strap is so much more dense and like thick i should say like the it, a coos deer is kind of thinner it kind of reminds me of maybe like the size of a a small pork loin or a yeah. small pork um, backstrap, you know, maybe, I don't know, four inches in diameter type deal. Maybe that might even be too big. And I think because it's so thin, your ratio to seasoning to meat is really good, you know, because when I did it with the mule deer, I was like, eh, this is good, but it's not near like, it wasn't like, oh, I had to keep eating it like until the whole thing was gone like it when it was when I did it with the coos deer. But um Yeah. Yeah, that kind of stuff is like is really more and more I I started experimenting with jerkies and using the air fryer and the dehydrator and all this other stuff. Like that really found that one, my kids like it that way, so that I'm not the only person eating gay meat in the house. My wife will eat it when she kills it herself. But she won't necessarily eat what I bring home. Not some. I shouldn't say that. Some sometimes she does. It's kind of a. So, if I make something extravagant, you know, and I'm not just like throwing steaks on the grill or something like that, then that it definitely gets eaten. It's different, and I think that's that's important for all of us as hunters to kind of, you know you can almost feel like you're suffering through food because you almost feel obligated to eat it because you harvested it. And that goes out the door when you learn how to prepare it right. You know, it's like, Oh my God, this is awesome. You know, I'd go pay for this in a restaurant. So. Yeah. And the prices of, uh, you know, if if you were, let's say you were to order a steak at a restaurant that serves uh, a true wild game from like broken arrow ranch stuff. I mean, that, those things are expensive, man. So it's like, if you kind of compare it to what you have on your plate that you harvested versus what you had spent at a restaurant, I mean, mm-hmm. you, <laughs> you kind of feel bad, you know, not, yeah, you know, doing it justice. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's funny that you say that I was just having a conversation with my buddy Charles because I was opening up some packages this morning or not opening. I brought out some packages from the freezer and I was kind of pissed off because I typically, I don't uh, process my own my own game meat anymore. It's just got too much of a pain in the neck. I don't have the facility for it. Don't have the room. Don't have the supplies. So I always bring it to a butcher and have it done. And so it's packaged individually and it gets used much more efficiently that way. Anyway, so I had killed a, a, a pig and a blacktail in California last July. And I brought it to this company. I'm not going to say because I don't want to throw them underneath the bus. I mean they do some pretty amazing stuff like with the different types of sausages and you know, they'll even like they did little hamlets that they smoked for me and stuff like that from the pig. So that stuff was great. But the problem was, is like I have so many of these packages that the, the vacuum seal has failed and a lot of these are getting freaking freezer burned. And I was like, I guess my, my dog is going to eat good because you know, I'm not going to make that for myself, but it'll be in all freezer burnt and stuff. And it's like, yeah, that sucks. Yeah. And I spent a lot of money. So going to what we were talking about, I'm getting to that point is like, I kind of did like a quick cost analysis. I'm like, you know, when I factor in the cost that it took me to, you know, to fly to California to do that hunt and the tag and then the butchering. And then I had a butchered there and I had it shipped to me. It's like, eight dollars a sausage you know it's oh like god, oh yeah. my god it's like the most <laughs> it's like the most expensive meat i could go to like a super fancy restaurant <laughs> it's pretty nuts yeah it's a little different like you know when you go in your backyard and you spend 25 dollars for a you know whitetail license or whatever and just kill a deer then then it's really cost effective obviously but then you go on these like trips man i can't think of a single elk steak that i've eaten other than maybe like when I drew the, the tag here in Arizona, 
that wasn't <laughs> like super expensive. You know, by the time of, even if I don't go like on a elaborate hunt or definitely not like a guide, but even just a self-guided hunt, it's still, you know, you're still five grand into it before, you know? Yeah. My wife, whenever I do get a, uh, an elk, my wife probably going to give me crap because uh, I went on two separate elk hunts, got, got within 12 yards, stuff happened when able to shoot. But yeah. So if I go on a third one and get one, that, that meat's going to be <laughs> pretty pricey. Yeah, it definitely it definitely gets uh, it gets up there. Hey guys, I wanted to take a moment to discuss some really important stuff with you. Take a minute and think hard about what hunting and fishing and the outdoors means to you. Now I want you to imagine if all of that went away. It's a pretty grim picture, right? Now that I have your attention, there's a long time narrative out there that has been promoted by the anti-hunting and fishing groups to paint sportsmen and women as villains. We need to stop this narrative. We need to bring the truth to light. So how do we do that? We educate ourselves on the North American model of conservation and the common myths that are pushed out by the animal activists. We take this knowledge and we start communicating with our non-hunting friends, coworkers, and just educate them on the truth. But I really want you to become an expert in your own right, because the last thing we want to do is to put out false information or to offend somebody. So it's really important to just fill yourself with knowledge and become, unfortunately, become an activist. You have to become an activist. And I know that's a dirty word, but now more than ever, it's important for us to do that. We need to start planting our own seeds. That way, we develop more people, we turn more people into sympathizers. Because right now, we're faced with these issues where if a anti-hunting bill reaches the ballot, now, Halfa Wildlife has been very successful at eliminating that, getting there, but we can't rely on that. Unfortunately, if it gets to the ballot, the anti-hunting, the animal activist groups, animal rights groups, they are in position to launch campaigns to the non-hunting public, and they will pump propaganda into urban areas where people don't necessarily know anything about hunting and fill their minds with all kinds of lies and paint pictures of cute and cuddly bears and lions and wolves and paint this terrible picture of you, the hunter, the sportsman, who is the whole reason why these animals are on the landscape. So it is important for us to start in a grassroots effort, start changing the minds and educating the non-hunting public on the truth. That way, if something like this does go to the ballot box, you have possibly created a sympathetic voter for the sportsman. Keep that in mind. Think about it. Thank you very much. Let's get back to the show. What are some of your favorite preparations You know, for when you're not trying to go over the top, but just, you know, simple, not necessarily simple, but less, less crazy, <laughs> you know, preparations for, uh, oh, we'll just use deer since pretty much everybody has, uh, has experience hunting deer. Um, I mean, I would have to go back, you know, minus, minus steaks. I would have to go back to the braise because that's, that's one of those things that's like super versatile. So if you can braise uh, a whole shoulder or whatever, and it, I mean, if you're not that big, it kind of doesn't really matter what you braise it in, whatever liquid you braise it in, you can actually have that chilled in your fridge mm-hmm. tender. And whether you get like a pre-made sauce or whatever, you can jazz those up because most of the time those are really under seasoned anyway. So let's say you can keep a, a shoulder in your fridge and just pull chunks of that off and just hit that up in a pan, get it nice and crispy and, and, you know, and use your, 
your sauce to whatever to elevate the dish. I mean, I, to me, that's probably the easiest, you know, outside of, of, of steaks. So um, it's, braising a whole shoulder and then, you know, going through and, and picking at it over the next few days or whatever and making different little dishes from that. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I do that a lot. You know, we, I, you know, I do my, you know, fancy post, but I usually only cook something like that once a week and that's, I'm kind of a health nut. So that's like my cheat meal. <laughs> mm, gotcha. I was going to say nothing that tastes good really is healthy. Yeah. <laughs> I get that but all the I, time. I would say that's – oh, go ahead. I said I get that all the time. My wife's like, I, I don't want you to cook because it tastes good, but I know that it's got butter and this and that and all this other stuff in there. But it's tough. It's tough to make a really like clean – I mean, it's not – definitely definitely not out of reach, right? But it's not as easy to, to make something that uh, – especially in the wild game side, I think – that really is just like, oh my God, this is so good to eat and it's good for you as well, <laughs> you know? Yeah, man, it's it, it's it's tough. But I mean, I, I think if you can find uh, a few sauces, you know what I mean, that are relatively healthy, uh, you know, if you, if, you, if you manage what goes in those sauces, you'll still have a pretty, you know, relatively good meal. Yeah. No, for sure. You can... You could definitely do it. I've my wife was doing like keto and stuff for a while, so we we played with a lot of stuff, and you know we uh, we made some good meals. We uh, there was definitely a couple in there that was very uh, memorable, and I would eat again, and not just because I want to eat something healthy. So, what's your favorite cut from a deer or from an elk or from a, a pig or something? But, Mm, probably hands down for me is the neck. The neck. Uh, yeah, the neck is, I mean, not, not that I want it to be like beef, but you know, if you want a tender piece of meat, that's, that's going to be the most tender, you know, out of all of them mm-hmm. when it's, when it's slow cooked. Uh, I just don't think you can, you can beat it for, uh, as far as shredded meat goes. And you can, you can do various things. You know, I've made pastrami out of, out of venison necks, uh, you know, you can make a ham out of it. You can just make pot roast, you know, whatever. And it's, it's, it's just super tender. Nice. And, you know, and that's like probably one of the, uh, you won't see this in the East coast as much, but like in the West where you have to pack out, you know, out of the mountains with heavy packs and so on and so forth. Sometimes the neck meat gets overlooked, you know, um, yeah, and it's kind of a pain to debone, as I'm sure you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely not. I've actually gotten really good about keeping that back strap all the way up to like the base of the neck and kind of keeping it all one piece, even though you know, technically the, the, the fibers change a little bit, but it's still all one piece. And I know I've done it a couple times with elk. They call them uh, like the layman's term for our buglers. They're the two neck muscles that are they're kind of strappy almost look like a small loin or uh, actually looks more, more like a like a pig back strap almost it's kind of a weird <laughs> i know those are really good if prepared right um i haven't dabbled with them all that much but i've had a few guys tell me tell me those are the, those are where it's at so <laughs> Yeah, sounds interesting. Another thing I really wanted to get into was trying to do like elk flank steaks and, you know, kind of do like a carne asada type preparation with them. I haven't, I haven't really done that. It just seems like a whole bunch of work for a really small piece of meat. Um, but I think on this next elk, I'm going to definitely try that. Yeah, I, I do a few things with, uh, with with whitetail flanks, those are pretty cool too. That sometimes oh, wow, well, I, I'll probably say most of the time get thrown out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, because there's so much connective tissue on it, and then a lot of times that fat layer is laying on there, so it's like more work. And then it just seems like I don't know, like a lot of work. Yeah, if you, <laughs> yeah, if, if you leave those, just a you don't have to stuff them or anything. But a, a quick tip for those is you can literally roll those things up. Uh huh tie them in multiple spots with uh, some butcher's twine and just throw those in the slow cooker. You can sear them beforehand and they'll end up 
you know, shredding up pretty good. And you can kind of play around with it after that. But yeah, that's that's generally what I do. Awesome. Um, so if somebody wanted to get into preparing more lavish meal preparations with game, what are some of the things that, you know, what are some good starting points or what are some ways they can practice like with maybe like stall meat or whatever that would have a similar preparation style and outcome? Uh, I would say if you're not the greatest or whatever, cooking uh, venison steaks or any kind of lean meat, you can definitely use, I don't know, use like something like a eye of round a beef or a London broil or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the the technique of that's going to be pretty, you know, pretty similar. Um, and as far as braising, maybe I would say lamb shanks. Um, they're, they're relatively cheap. It's something a little bit different. Uh, you don't, you know, it doesn't taste like beef, <laughs> um, yeah, but right. yeah, I, I would say lamb shanks are a good, a good place to start to uh, mess around with braised dishes. Gotcha. So like a London broil, whatever you can treat that like as if you were going to grill it or any other type of preparation that would be similar to another, obviously really lean steak that would come from, uh, yeah. Elk or deer. Yeah. I mean, they're so lean. If, if you overcook that past medium rare, I mean, it's going to be, be like leather, just like a, uh, backstrap. So it's a, <laughs> it's a cheap learning tool for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 On, on something like that, what, what are you suggesting? Like, as far as, so one problem like I have is I'm a high, when it comes to meat, unless I'm slow cooking it, specifically slow cooking it, I'm a very high temp guy, which has kind of burned me a few times, literally, both figuratively and literally. Um, but when you're cooking something that's like that, are, are we doing the, you know, thousand degree sear type deals on them and just, you know, still cooking it to medium rare, the internal temp doesn't change but how how are you getting it there like what are your what are your kind of what's your philosophy on it and the technique that you would use yeah i mean i use relatively high heat and uh you know one rule of thumb is to make sure if you are doing that you know don't season them with with any kind of seasoning like sugars or you know paprika or any of that stuff that stuff's going to burn that's going to yeah, it's going to taste gnarly, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I usually just have a high smoke point oil and, and, and cook those off at a high, high temp. And, uh, you know, you just want to make sure if, if it is a thicker steak, if you don't want to risk, you know, getting it way too charred and then end up being raw in the middle is, you know, kind of lower your, lower your heat a little bit. And if you're nervous about burning it at that point, you could, you know, take it off and throw it in the oven for a few minutes. Gotcha. So, um, I don't know how well we could paint this picture, but do you want to try to take us through a, you know, a preparation of an elevated dish that you think most guys, and then we'll, you know, we'll direct them to your website to actually get the recipe, but, um, kind of take us through one. Yeah, I would probably go back. Um, it's funny you brought it up, the, the red wine dish. Uh, Uh, I, I think that's, it's delicious and it's easy and it's actually better the next day. So I think more people are inclined to make it cause you can actually make it, throw it in your fridge and heat it up the next day. Okay. But it's, you know, it's pretty simple. You know, you could do it with a, a neck shank or, or shoulders. You basically just want to get that, uh, seasoned up salt and pepper, sear those off, you know, take that off, get some, uh, onions and garlic going, get that tender. Um, if you want to use a crock pot, use a crock pot. If not use a pan, then you just want to do, I don't know about a ballpark of 50, 50, you know, a red wine and some stock, bring that up about three quarters of the way up your meat and then just slow cook that until it's tender. And then once you get that tender, that's, that's when you can pull the meat out and dial in your sauce. So you can add more stuff to your sauce. You can add some sugar to sweeten it up, some honey and just reduce that cooking liquid down to about half. And then that's going to concentrate your flavors. And then I give you that glaze, give you that texture. Yeah. And you can cheat. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of, yeah, you can, you can do a little slurry, you know, with a little water and, and cornstarch. I mean, there's other things out there if you don't want to use that, but, uh, 
and, and just cook that a little bit until it, it thickens and, and the uh, cornstarch flavor is gone. Gravy master. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then on top of that, I mean, really, if you can get your hands on some fresh herbs at the end, you know, you always want to use that at the end. It's just kind of fold those into the sauce. And then, I mean, I, I'd, I'd say that's probably one of the easiest elevated dishes. And, and like I said, they're actually better the next the next day after they're able to soak in that sauce overnight. Mm-hmm. So when you're braising it, yes, you, you mentioned having it three quarters up the way of the meat are at some point, are you flipping that meat over so that whatever's been out of the liquid goes into the liquid for, for wild game? Yeah. I recommend it. Definitely. Uh, if you're doing like lamb or something, you don't need to because of the fat content. Okay. But, uh, yeah, for, for shanks, definitely. I mean, if you can, you know, try to flip it once or twice, during the, the cooking, you might be able to get away without doing it with a, with a shoulder, but, um, but yeah, if you can swing flipping it, uh, it would definitely help. Are, and are you covering them the whole time or is that a, uh, you know, half on half off type deal? Yeah, I, I keep it covered. Okay. Uh, the entire time. And I, I like, uh, just to have more control of it. I'll take the meat out and then, and like I said, hit that under a broiler for the color. You can kind of control whatever you want with the color without messing with the sauce and then kind of put everything together at the end. Nice. This is definitely going to be my next my next experiment here. I'm going to try this out. Well, let's uh, let's jump into some of your uh, your hunting stories. If you have any that you would share with us, something that was like either really memorable or maybe a story that kind of shaped you you're hunting you know maybe change the way you hunt a certain species because you learned something and it kind of you know had an aha moment maybe uh yeah i mean i was gonna go with the whitetail story but i'll, I'll do uh i do a elk story i guess for an eastern guy <laughs> anybody out there's from the east coast oh, we, got, elk we, before. we got uh we got people from all walks of life and all all over the country listening so oh uh, yeah uh you know, I went out to uh, to Utah a few years ago to elk hunt with with a few buddies, and uh, little little did we know we picked a uh, it was an over the counter unit. It was a cow only or spike tag. Uh huh. Yep. And uh, little did we know we picked a uh, a unit that uh, most locals said we were pretty nuts for first time elk hunters to pick. You know, it was very very steep. <laughs> Wasatch. Uh, Dutton. Oh, Dutton. Yeah. Dutton will do it. Uh, I guess to me it's steep. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's not nearly as bad, but it's, it's not, uh, that's not fun either though. <laughs> it's pretty plateaued on the top Dutton, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we had two other guys that were mule deer hunting. So they, they dropped us off. So we didn't have a vehicle. So we ended up hiking. Like, I think we clocked in at like 60 miles in like 10 days, which was mm-hmm. a lot for us. And, um, no, that's all kind of <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, it was, it, it was just cool. We, uh, we, uh, we didn't expect to even come close. Um, you know, the, the first day we were, we were there, me and a buddy saw a few elk on the other side of the mountain. We were like, Oh, you know, we're going to, we're going to run down and, uh, you know, try to sneak up on them on the other end. And we ran down and we just hit just massive amounts of blowdowns. It took us like 40 minutes to get over there. By the time we got over there, we had like five minutes of shooting light. Mm. Uh, they just got away from us, and then a uh, few days following, actually all of us almost had an opportunity to to shoot. Uh, one of my buddies is about 6'4", 270. Um, he ended up having an elk in front of him, and he drew back, and being a big guy on the side of the mountain, he drew back and fell down the side of the mountain. Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, uh, next, I, I felt horrible about this, but we didn't know any better. Uh, you know, me and my buddy were uh, both found some, some elk. Uh, kind of went down the, the mountainside and we're like, Hey, we're going to do some, uh, some soft cow calling. Uh, and, and if, you know, if I, if we don't hear anything, you know, we'll meet back up in here. Uh, and he never started calling. Uh, and after about 10 minutes, I was like, screw it. I'm going to call. And I started calling and uh, little did I know he had an elk in front of him by like 10 yards and it just hauled ass and left. Oh, geez. <laughs> and, uh, uh, the very next day uh, we're in the same exact spot. And uh, I had an elk come in front of me like 12 yards, but uh, it was so massive. Uh, all I could see was the body in between trees. I couldn't see antlers or anything. So I didn't know if it was a bull, which would have been illegal. So right. I got full draw on that and pretty much had to let it go. But anyway, uh, just, just long story short, you know, I mean, it was, it was, it was a ton of work 
uh, for Eastern guy, but I mean, I, I love that. I went back to the same unit last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was actually going to go by myself and uh, one of my friends never been hunting. <laughs> he volunteered. Oh geez. Uh, yeah. He got his ass kicked. And after the second day he didn't leave the tent. So I was basically hunting by myself. <laughs> oh God. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's funny. People do that and are like, what the hell do you do this for? <laughs> like, yeah. put yourself I mean, through all this misery for he was, what? He was clueless. Like, it, it was just funny, man. He, uh, <laughs> we're creeping up a road to go back to uh, a spot I've seen some elk, and uh, I was just kind of not really paying attention. It was my fault. The sun was just coming up, and I look over to my right, and like eight yards away, there's a bull elk and a cow elk, and I'm like, get down. There's an elk, and he was like, where? And I was like, get the fuck down, you know? And yeah. He's just looking at me like he didn't believe me, and uh, finally, I pointed him out, and we like crouched down, and I drew my bow back, and the, the bull stood in front of the cow the entire time, and I, I couldn't get a shot off, and that was the closest I got all week, but oh, so, I guess... I'm a glutton for punishment. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, well, seriously, that's like, there's way better over the counter hunts than that. that Um, Those are tough. That's a tough hunt. So, yeah, it was, it was kind of gnarly. And I drove from South Carolina to Utah to make it even more. Jeez. Crazy. Yeah. I I got a new, (laughs) I got a new rule of thumb. If it's more than eight hours, I ain't doing it. I'm flying and rented a car. I I don't know what it is. I used to drive everywhere i was the guy that everybody was like hey john we're gonna go you know on the road trip you're gonna drive like and i loved it i absolutely loved it um you know in in my 20s i i used to go like snowboarding almost as much as i hunted or if not more and you know i was doing like eight to ten trips a year and just driving everywhere no through the night no problem now it's like you put me in a car for five hours and i'm like i hate this i don't you know i don't want to do it anymore yeah i, I just uh, i yeah, i I'm definitely much, uh, i pretty much fly everywhere and just rent the car i i, I can't do the i can't do yeah, the next road trips flying, anymore 100 <laughs> <laughs> i've got some uh cow points out there you know just would be a meat hunt i've, I've uh, getting some points out there for like five years so I might fly back out there and do that just for some some meat if I'm lucky but where in Utah or yeah oh, okay gotcha I mean shit if you got five points man I would just hold off because a couple more years you get to around nine points you, you got a chance to draw you know a good tag I would I would hang on to that man there's a the cow tags? No, I mean, you'd be able to draw a bull tag, <laughs> you know. Oh no, I've got a, I've got a separate. So I've got bull points and I've got cow points there. Oh, they have bull and cow points. I didn't even know that. That's crazy. Yeah, a lot I of my, yeah, a lot of my friend. Yeah, I mean, most people don't think about it. like I, I I found it by accident. I think they sent me an email uh, advertising it, so I started getting the cow point. Most of my friends think I'm crazy. They're like you're going to go off to Utah to shoot a cow, but I'm like, man. That's, that's a lot of meat. Yeah. No, I mean, and better, way better tasting than a bull. Bulls freaking, especially a ruddy ass bull. They're not, uh, they're definitely not as, <laughs> definitely not as good as a cow. That is a 100%. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know. It depends on thing. I might do that this year. I'm, uh, I've thought about going up to Maryland to hunt the sick of deer, but I've been wanting to sure. do that for freaking so long. And there was a guy out there that had, it was one of the outfitters that, I guess had the rights to a very large portion of their habitat and I had it all set to go. And then I, he called me like a month and a half before and he's like, Hey John, I, I just, uh, I just sold. And I'm like, okay. Oh man. And so I never went and I've been wanting to go. I've, I've heard that one, I've heard that they're, they're pretty, uh, tasty animal, but, you know, I'm always looking for that adventure, something, something new, something different than I've yeah. ever done, and that just seemed cool. Like, you know, little mini elk running around, roaring. You know, yeah, that, that's that's what draw you know, it's drawing me to it, man. I was like, I love just love new adventures, and I was like, man, that'd be you know, cool as hell. And I've got somewhat experience hunting those marshes here. I kind of mm-hmm, mm-hmm. stumbled upon that. There's a lottery hunt some uh some plantations around here they're on the on the ocean on the marsh and i, I kind of got some experience i was like yeah i'd like to see if i could uh apply what i've learned in maryland yeah i bet i bet you'd work out great uh, it's definitely a hunt that 
that's on my bucket list. Two years ago, I finally got to check off. I went red stag hunting. Um, oh, really? It was right right when COVID started. It was March, I don't know, 7th or 8th or something. I had just landed <laughs> and, uh, and everything got shut down. And my wife, my cousin and his wife and my buddy Charles and his wife, we got stuck in Argentina for 21 days. But, I mean, we had nothing to do but hunt. We just... And the outfitter that we went with over there was like, I mean, dude, just I, you're here, go hunting, <laughs> you know. So we did, and uh, I, I honestly, if it wasn't for the fact that my, you know, I have a business here, and my my kids were here with my mother in law, my, you know, my parents were here also, I was living my best life. <laughs> I could have stayed there for a long time. <laughs> um, and want, and you want to awesome. talk about good eating? We had a a chef you know that was preparing meals from us and everything we ate was game everything oh man and this guy and his it was him and his girlfriend actually uh cooking and they prepared some amazing meals like we ate black buck water buffalo red stag you know access deer anything that you can hunt there, mouflons, whatever. They were, we ate. And it was, every single meal was absolutely fantastic. There wasn't even a single one where I was like, eh, that was all right. And um, they actually let me cook for them a couple of times. I uh, I did some, because I do a lot of, you know, Southwest Mexican style preparation stuff. And they had okay. never eaten tacos. And they, we, you know, we made homemade tortillas. He helped me out. We were, you know, got the flour and everything. And we, we, we uh, made a bunch of tortillas and it came out. We did it with water buffalo, like ground water buffalo. And I made like, it wasn't even ground. It was like, uh, I don't know what even to, how to minced up minced. Yeah. It was like minced. It was almost like steak tartare type, um, you know, consistency, maybe a little bit bigger chunks. And, uh, yeah, man, that came out of fantastic. <laughs> Everybody was like, Oh my God, this is so good. And yeah, I'd love to do something like that. Oh, it, uh, if I actually, so the, the outfit that we went with, I, I have a relationship with, I've been brokering for him for a long time. So if you ever want to go to that, let me know. I could set you up with that hunt, but, um, All right. absolutely amazing. Excellent hunting excellent food, excellent place to stay. But it really, it kind of drove me too. I'm like, wow, man, there's, I, I ate so many elevated meals that I'm like, I want to, that's kind of where my curing the meat thing started. We had every, like every day before dinner, they would like put out like a, you know, like a, I always screw up this word, charcuterie or whatever card. <laughs> I was freaking screwed up. Oh yeah, up. charcuterie. Yeah. Word. Um, and you know, with all these cheeses and all the meats were all, you know, game meat, like one of my favorite things was this black buck, kind of like a, almost like a, uh, like a speck sort of. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was very similar because it had a little smokiness to it. It's like a prosciutto speck type deal, but no, you know, there's no fat on it. Um, and, but it was, that was so freaking good. I, and then, the craziest thing that we were, we would go out at nighttime and we would shoot these, they look like raccoons almost. Um, they're called viscacha. I don't know if there's an, an English pronunciation or uh, name for them, whatever, but viscacha, they look like, like a rabbit and a raccoon had a baby. So their rear legs are kind of like a rabbit's rear legs. Uh, the fronts are a little bit longer and they got like a mask, like a raccoon, you know, and they live in the ground. So they're like a ground squirrel type deal. And we'd go out with green lights at night and shoot them with 22s. And that's awesome. They do, they did this like pickled, it sounds weird, but it was like a pickled preparation of the meat. And it was like served as an order, you know, with cheese and bread and whatever. It was freaking so, it was so good, you know? And I was like, wow, this is just nuts, you know? The, the things that we, 
you know, you would look at that here in the United States and you'd be like, eh, you know, that's not something, maybe not you because you're, you've been exposed to, you know, a lot of different meat and preparation and so on and so forth. But most people would be like, eh, I need that, you know, that's like going to shoot squirrels and eating, eating squirrels, you know, where people, some people love it. I actually, my, my wife's uncle, he loves it. He makes them, he makes them in crock pot with like cream of mushroom soup or something. And <laughs> oh, yeah. old school. yeah, exactly. But you know, it's, it's definitely something that would be overlooked and you wouldn't think about doing it. We, man, we, we, we love the hell out of that stuff. It was nuts. So yeah, I'd love to try something like that. Yeah, no, it's a great trip. It's definitely something you should check out and you know, it was definitely eye-opening as at, on the culinary side, like how many different things that you can do. Like we ne- we never ate anything the same in 21 days. It was like it was except for breakfast. You know, breakfast was a lot of eggs, but it was like different preparations, different meats, different you know places of the world. <laughs> you know, everything. It wasn't it wasn't just like a, the local fair i mean we made pizzas with you know that cured meats on the on top of it they they even did prosciutto out of some of the uh, wild hogs that were there which is what a prosciutto you know would be made out of a wild hog anyway i have a crap ton of pigs out here and that that was like i need to figure out a way, a way to use all these things i'm building a uh like a charcuterie locker i'm converting over a uh, old fridge in my garage and oh yeah, nice start nice yeah. Getting into all that even more. <laughs> about, about to whip out the old horse bone to test. It. <laughs> I got it. There's a there's a gentleman over here. Um, he's actually good friends with my dad, and you may have heard he's gotten some kind of national rec- recognition, uh, like on Food Network and stuff like that. It's a place called Andrioli, and uh, he does all his own prosciutto and all that all that stuff. And oh man, yeah, you know, I <laughs> I'd love to do it, but it's just like man, that's prosciutto that's a that's a commitment right because <laughs> you're talking about months of, of of work um and then you got to have the right the right animal you know it, so in italy those those the the actual pig that they kill to for those is called a cignale which is uh, okay you know you'd probably see something like that close in south carolina it's the real like European boar, long, long snout with tusks and really long hair, and you know can get really big. It's not your like Razorback or the the hybrids of it, but it's like a straight up, you know, scary looking, <laughs> scary looking beast. So, but. Anyway, yeah, I think uh, that's all I got for you, man. I, I appreciate you coming on and you know talking a little bit about uh, about food that comes from from this crazy hobby that we got. Yeah, man, I, I appreciate you having me on. And to uh, circle back around, it's pretty funny. I was listening to uh, to one of your podcasts, and uh, you were talking about how you're changing your name up. Oh yeah, that was a while ago, three years ago. Um, but I, anyway, I thought it was funny because uh, most because when most people find my page, it's like, and I'm sure most other chefs or whatever you know, wild game gourmet. It's like you know, it kind of to me, it kind of sounds pretentious. Like I actually mm-hmm. hate the name because <laughs> <laughs> um, because everything I cook, you know, isn't you know isn't upscale and uh, you know just for people that are interested in my stuff and the page, you know, it's just to me the gourmet means you know just just good food. You know what I mean? Right. It's not yeah. like Exactly. You know, not 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 pretentious or any of that stuff, but uh, but I thought it was funny. I, I was listening to your podcast. You were talking. I was like, man, I'd, I'd love to change my name, but I think I'm stuck with it. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, I was really worried about it. The, the one thing I had going for me is that I already had that synergy with yeah. with my other endeavors. Um, but I think there was a measurable difference, to be honest with you. Like I, I could tell some people kind of because. With that, I also changed the format up just a little bit, where it wasn't so question and answer where where I where I had it before. Which I'm kind of starting to kind of go back to that. I was alluded to that this earlier when it, when we first got on that 
I want to have more structured questions and, you know, um, less of a free, free roaming conversation, which I, I mean, I like that too. And I like the authenticity of having that kind of conversation, but at the same time, I want to get people the information that they, they crave, you know? So it's kind of like, it's hard to do all that and, and still have that, you know, like you're shooting from the hip style, but anyway, um, well, awesome, man. Where, where can our listeners, uh, find out more about you and, and follow you, what you're doing? Mainly on Instagram at wild game gourmet. Uh, I've got a, a website with a ton of recipes and instructionals. It's, uh, the wild game gourmet.com. And, uh, I guess a, a shameless plug right here. Um, I'm actually working with, uh, uh, it's called outdoor class. Yeah, I saw that. That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, I, I can't give. I don't know too much about it yet, but uh, yeah, it'll be uh, an e-learning site for hunters, and they'll have, you know, like Remy Warren on there, uh, Corey Jacobson. I'll be doing wild game. I think they have another chef on there doing Western wild game. So uh, that's that's coming out soon as well. That's awesome. Awesome. Good deal, man. Thanks a lot, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks, man. Bye. Hey, guys. Thanks for checking out the show. Really appreciate you. Keep those reviews and those comments coming. Helps us keep this free. Do me a favor. Go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%, all one word. And check out Howl for Wildlife. Thank you very much. We'll catch you on the next show.